Hey, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. If you want more information about the church, go to www.clovishills.com or you can download our app in your iTunes or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast. I want to introduce you to our, our guest speaker. Guys, he's been scheduled to come for a very long, long time. And so it's not like we just called him up and said, hey, could you come deliver this message? In fact, he didn't know the news of the Beanie family until yesterday afternoon. And so his notes were already in. And I can tell you all about this guy. He's written 23 books. He's been a men's pastor. He travels the world speaking. He's a great, great, great guy, great communicator, as you'll find out. But I don't want to tell you all of that stuff. I simply want to tell you this. I believe he's the right man for this message this morning in, in light of the news I just gave you. You're going to hear his story, and you're going to hear why he's the right guy for this, this situation. And so we are blessed to have him. Would you please welcome Pastor Kitty Leck up to the stage. Pastor, thank you, man. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Um, you know, I saw some Cleveland Brown fans with some jerseys on this morning. Saw some people flying the colors, and uh, it made me think of football. And then in a football game, there's one, you know, when they, they start the game, the guy kicks it off. There's one guy on this end of the field, and there's one guy that, after the kickoff, stays on this end of the field. One guy hopes to bring it to the end zone. The other guy is praying to God he does not have to tackle the guy and get pressed into service. And I feel like the kicker this morning. I feel like you got the right guy. Some kickers don't like to tackle. Others like the contact. And uh, I feel like this morning you have the right guy. You see, uh, like Scott said, I had no clue what was going on, but um, I was an oncology chaplain at, on the seventh floor of Western Medical Center for a big season of my life. So I've walked hundreds of families through this journey that this family is about to go on. And your family, in fact, that's why the Bible calls us a body. A body's interconnected. We're, what, what happens to one member affects the whole body. And so uh, we're all feeling what's going on with Sean and especially with, with Kelly. And when you have traumatic illness or the onset of a traumatic illness, it's just this odyssey of feelings, and then you're a Christian, and your faith and your feelings and your faith sometimes tug at each other. Well, I'm just going to tell you, when I was in the room with 20 to 30 cancer patients and their families, it was an odyssey. For the first time in my life, I was afraid to show up for work. Want to know why? I had no control over what was going to happen. And you know, I don't know about you, anybody else like predictable? Right, We spend a lot of energy trying to make things predictable so we can avoid pain, right? And then this bowling ball comes rolling into your life that you had. It was absolutely unwelcomed. It was absolutely unplanned, and that's what's going on. I was afraid to go to work because mortality was a daily reality and a daily threat for my patients. How do you like showing up to that job? I mean, it's kind of like... Most pastors, it's sort of like you come in and then you pray and then you hope for the best and then, you know, you can go back home to your life and then maybe... No, I, every day for eight hours for a, a long season of my life, there was a sustained connection to uncontrollable 
outcomes. You know, and for the first time I saw, and I, I think this is what you're going to be going through, especially for our, for our young people, is that you control nothing. You think you control a lot of things. You know, you're going to wake up in the morning and get on your clothes and see your friends and go to work. And, but there are no guarantees. And, and God sometimes uses this to remind us just how fragile life is. It reminds us that, you know, tomorrow isn't guaranteed. It also uh, showed me that when you have trauma, it dissolves all the trivial things of life. And it replaces it with what is central to the meaning of life, God and people. Can I hear an amen? You see, all that stuff that we're so concerned about, all our self-absorption, all our screens, all our digital world, all of our followers, all of the externals, our money, our portfolios, our car, whatever it is, that all just takes second place by a mile, and it's replaced by what is central, what is eternal, what is relational. That's what takes over the center. And that teaches us, and it taught me, as I would walk families through this, that God was burning away all the non-essentials and God was bringing all the essential things that are key to, to, to living life the way it's intended right to the center of the table. Eternity, God, relationships, prayer, support. I also learned that reality, however painful, is where God is. God's not in some fantasy or what we hope will happen, or he's in today, and he's in truth and reality, and he's here. You see, there's, there's two very important truths that this church family, and certainly Sean and Kelly and their family are gonna be learning, and that's this. All circumstances are sacred. You can't compartmentalize your prosperity and success and say, oh, well, God's in that, and then, and then take your adversity and your struggles and your trials and say, well, God's not here. He's there, but he's not here. All circumstances are sacred. That's why that passage of the Bible that we like to refer to in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, says, and we know that all things, everybody say all things, all things work together for the good of God for, for the good of those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose everybody say his purpose his purpose so you can't compartmentalize prosperity and say well God's with me in my prosperity and then when adversity hits say oh well God's not with me want to know why because when Jesus was having 9 inch nails pounded into his his hands and into his feet and his back was hamburger. Was that a hard circumstance, yes or no? Was God using that? He sure was. And it's because of that very difficult thing which all the disciples are watching, his closest friends are like, that's backward, man. That's unjust. That is not right. Not him. Not the man who was compassionate and caring and strong and and touched people nobody would touch, and, and forgave people that nobody wanted to forgive, and, and did things that nobody else did. That's wrong. And yet, in that adversity that Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, yet not my will be done, but your will be done. 
and in going to the cross for me and you, God was in that. In fact, our redemption, our justification, our salvation, our sins were forgiven. We got a home in heaven, and God was working in that. And so what God wants you to know is that during this journey, okay, it's Kelly's journey, but it's also your journey because we're a family and we're a body, and God wants to speak things to you that maybe you didn't consider. Maybe, maybe he's kind of saying, hey, that other stuff that you focus so much attention on, maybe that's not as important as you think, and this circumstance is making you think, even as it made me think, as I sat with 20 to 30 cancer patients every week, that, you know what, maybe that's not so important, and maybe my family and my marriage and my kids and my dad and my mom and my sisters and my brothers, maybe they're a little more important than the things that I think are so important. Because when families have a trauma like this, it magnifies issues in that family. It reveals, you know, you know that saying, pressure reveals substance? <laughs> it squeezes out what's there. And so this is an opportunity for, for all of us. I'm a member of the body of Christ. Kelly's my sister. Sean's my brother. You're my brothers and sisters. And so we all have this opportunity to let God use this process to make us more like Christ and to help us focus on what is essential. I'm going to tell you that, that the greatest challenge that, that everyone who's participating in this journey with Sean and Kelly is going to face is believing that the truest thing in the midst of this circumstance is what God says is true. I'm gonna say that one more time. The biggest challenge is that in the midst of this journey is believing that the truest thing about this journey is what God says is true. The truest thing about anything is what God says is true. The truest thing about you is what God says is true. It's not my feelings, it's not my fears, it's not my anxieties, it's not my angers. Those are feelings, they are not the facts, amen? The truest thing about anything is what God says is true, and God says that we know that God uses all things and works them together for the good of those who love him and to them who are called according to his purpose. It's like... When my wife makes Texas sheet cake, I know you're wondering, like, how's he going to connect Texas sheet cake to this thing? Well, on the counter, before I knew, like, all the ingredients, and whatever, there was a box on the counter while she was making it. It's called Hershey's Cocoa. And I thought, Hershey's, chocolate bars, sweet. So I took a spoon, and I got a cocoa, and I stuck it in my mouth, and I was like, bah, 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 bah. supposed to be sweet, but it was bitter. Now, when you're making Texas sheet cake, that's a key part, of, that's a key ingredient. And of course, with all the other ingredients, you know, and the sugar and stuff, you bake it in. And when, he, when it's all baked in, pretty good, right? And so, what's going to come out of this process? Pretty good. Okay, even though today, you get a little Hershey's cocoa, right? Just remember, God's the master of the kitchen, and he's baking all these things together. Even you're here, and you don't have a, a, a cancer diagnosis like Kelly, but something's going on. If the sociologists are right, nine out of ten of us have a problem in our life that we'd love a little help with. Can I get an amen? People are like icebergs. You only see the tip. Below the waterline is the substance of 
all these walk-around pressures and walk-around temptations that nobody ever sees and struggles and relationships and families and pressures and burdens. And God wants to minister to that person this morning. He wants to talk not to the image. He wants to talk to the substance of who we are. And he's doing that right now. So that's going to be a challenge. And I, I, I will say this as well. Adversity is like Windex. It brings great clarity. It's like... You get clear, right? You start talking to God. You start valuing things that you didn't value before. It's like, hey, God, I'm here. I'm going through this thing. Or, hey, God, this person's going through this thing. And your spiritual life gets better. And guess what? Pastor Scott is right. This church is now, it's just like, we are going forward. We are not going to give up that terror. That is not how Pastor Sean and Kelly exhorted us in their letter. There's a great season coming. And when you get hit on the nose with something, just means something's at stake on the other side. Amen? All right. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So if you're ready to take some baby steps in your bulletins, there's, some, there's a little space for all you obsessive compulsive people who like to write fill-ins. If you don't like to do that, you're cool too. We're going to show the scripture on the screen, but you can follow along. And like Scott said, I had no idea, but there was a message on my heart. He said, hey, you can preach on whatever you want. And this message is like, you know, fresh Krispy Kreme donuts, man. It's just like right out of the oven. It tastes good only when it comes right out. So this is a fresh message. And it's see what happens when you don't give up. Hey, I... I get messages in the weirdest way. So I go to the gym three times a week and there's everybody crowded outside waiting to get in so the next class goes in. And, and there's this lady. Guys, you ever notice that women, sometimes they carry bags, they, they double for garages? <laughs> it's like, I mean, they, I mean, it's like Mary Poppins. They can pull stuff out of there. It's like, what do you need? Oh, just hold on a second. I know it's in here somewhere. Well, this lady has this bag on and on the side of the bag, it's from like some women's clothing store. They have like a message they want to send to all women. And so it says, see what happens when you don't give up. And I'm standing there, and you know, I'm like, I'm like, and I look over and I see that bag, and I went, and God just, boom. It's the weirdest thing. Spoke to me. I'm like, you know what? That's a good message for Christians. See what happens when you don't give up. See what happens when you don't stop believing. See what happens when you keep trusting God. See what happens when you keep going forward. Because you know one thing, as a, as a pastor for 30 years, and, and, and as a person who's just watched culture evolve, in our self-absorbed, screen-enslaved culture, you know what has risen to the top as the facts? Feelings. Feelings are not the facts. Can I get an amen? Your feelings are not the facts. But we invest so much in our feelings. Like, our feelings are our reality. And they're not. And you know what happens in a culture where feelings are the facts? We bail out in the middle of process. When the going gets tough, the tough, the tough stop going. And Jesus said, it's going to get tough. At least Jesus was honest with us. He said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome that. You can trust me. I'm going to redeem it. You can trust me. So don't give up. You see, you have a choice when things get uncomfortable. You can bail out of the process. You can use discomfort as an excuse to quit. You can, some people, a lot of Christians go, well, it just must not be God. Why? Oh, because this is really uncomfortable. Really? Are you going to say that to Jesus because he went through kind of an uncomfortable thing so that you could go to heaven? Doesn't fly, 
But people use it as cover. We rationalize, we excuse. It's because we don't want to go through hard things. When our Lord and Savior, Jesus, went through a very hard thing because he saw what was on the other side. And on the other side of that hard thing that he went through was you. He wanted to know you. So we can bail out or, everybody say this with me, persevere, Persevere. endure, Endure. see through. You see, that's what we can do. You can win a great victory. You ever noticed that the greatest victories of all time were not when, you know, a team or or, or somebody in a battle just kind of sailed through for the win. That's a good victory. It's not a great victory. The great victories come when you stick with it. The great victories come when you endure. The great victories come. It's almost like the perseverance is the context for the sweetness of the victory. You guys like the Olympics like me? I love the Olympics, and I love seeing those gold medalists ball their eyes out on the platform. They had their, their country song is playing. Why? Because they persevered. They endured. They, they, they trained at high altitude. They pushed metal around. They worked through injuries for four years just to have an opportunity. And then they, they, they go through the trials, and they make it through the heats. Then they make it to the final round, and then they perform, and then they win that gold medal. Those are the great victories. Can I tell you something? This whole church body is on a journey, and we are going to see a great victory. And it's going to be sweet, and it's going to be wonderful. And Kelly, if you're watching, we're all in it with you, and we're going to make it there with you. You know, it it reminds me of that, that famous Teddy Roosevelt quote that it's not the critic who counts. What counts is the person who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and falls short again and again, who spends themselves in a worthy cause, who at best in the end knows the triumph of high achievement, but who at worst, if they fail, they fail while daring greatly so that their place may never be with those timid souls who know neither victory or defeat. Isn't that a great quote? And what Teddy Roosevelt is saying is, you got to see what happens. you got to see things through. And you know what's super cool? Is that if you know Jesus Christ, and you're connected to God's plans, and you persevere, you may win a victory in your circumstances, and what you expected to happen happens. Or if you persevere and what you expected to happen doesn't happen, you still win because what God expected to happen happens and what he wants happens and then everybody wins. Amen? That's what we're after here. So this is where we're headed. Look at your notes. There's a, there's a scripture on top of your notes. It's from 2 Timothy 4 verses 7 and 8. And the theme is finishing. How many of you would agree that starting and talking about things is easy, but finishing is harder? Anyone? Anyone? Can we have a cup of honesty in here? It's so easy to just talk about something that wouldn't it be great if, and that would be awesome if, and I want to do this, and, but then execution and persevering and enduring and finishing something, 
whole nother ball game. That's what Paul's talking about. He's at the end of his race. He has stuck it out. And listen to what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, let's finish it together if you have your bulletin, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul's just like, man, don't give up. I fought, I finished, I kept the faith. And you know what? It's like that podium scene when Paul talks about the crown of life that a Christian gets when they persevere and they don't give up and they finish the race. It's from the Isthmian Games in Greece when someone gets on the podium and they're given that little wreath on their head. There's going to be a moment, folks, when we'll stand face to face with Jesus. And it's not that falling, stumbling isn't the problem. We all stumble on our way. There, it's did we get up. The Bible says that the righteous person falls seven times but rises again. What does that say in the Bible? It means that God says that stumbling is expected but rising is what he really loves. Getting up again. There's some of you here and you've stumbled. I'm here to tell you that God's saying, let's go. Let's rise. You're not, it's not over till it's over. And there's, lot, there's time left for you. So if you're taking notes, on, on the notes it says finishing and then there's an equal sign. Write this down. Finishing equals a fight. How many of you agree that life on earth is not a bowl of cherries but more like a battle? Anyone? It's a battle. Waking up every day. Looking yourself in the mirror. Becoming a better person. Making relationships work. Being dads. Being wives. Being students. Right? And being the right person in the midst of it all. Finishing is a fight. And I gotta be honest, when people come to Christ, some of them think, oh my gosh, Jesus is gonna take my tests for me in high school. And then I'm, my marriage, all of a sudden, like fairy dust, I, it's just gonna all turn out great. And then my family, my kids are gonna listen, and then we're gonna get rich, and it's like, can I just tell you something? That's not how it works. In fact, Jesus would say, if any person would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Now, he guarantees that when you do pick up that cross, it's going to be worth it. All right? But, you know, it reminds me of when all these people are standing on the shore, and then Jesus is in the boat, and then all Jesus says in Mark 4.35 is, let's go to the other side. And then those foolish people leave the shore and get into the boat without knowing where he's taking them, and when he takes them onto the Sea of Galilee, does it get worse or does it get better? It gets worse. The waves are crashing over. And then the guy who gave us the invitation is taking a little snoozer in the back of the boat. And they're like, hey, don't you care? And he's like, what? And then the guys who got in the boat get to see something the guys who stayed on the shore never saw. They see Jesus go, peace, be still. And they see the creator take command over creation. But those poor souls who never got in the boat. They didn't see any of that. In fact, when they get to the other side, they see Jesus take authority over evil. They see Jesus take authority over physical illness. They, say, they see Jesus feed the 5,000. And you see, that's all of us. We're all kind of standing on the shore right now. And Jesus is going, let's go to the other side. You don't know what that journey is gonna be like, but you know who the captain of that boat is, amen? And you can trust him, and he's worthy of your trust. He did this to ensure that you would trust him. 
He's with you. He loves you. Even in the midst of some high waves that are coming your way, keep trusting him. So finishing is a fight. In the Bible, in Romans chapter 5, it says this, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's a good thing. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Another good thing. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Third great thing. These are all great things. But then listen to what the scripture says. And not only this, but we exult in tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So everybody say introduction, tribulation, transformation. Yeah, see, an introduction to a relationship with Christ doesn't exclude you from tribulation. You're going to live this life in the ups and downs of earth. There's good and bad. Families are good and bad. People are good and bad. Men are good and bad. Women are good and bad. Life is good and bad. Careers are good and bad. You're going to get in the boat, and it's going to be like this. But then, because you're a believer and you have a relationship with the God who's over it all, you're not going to experience those tribulations the same way you did before. You have someone who's with you in the boat that you're going to trust, and God's going to develop you in the middle of it. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 1, 7 through 9. Paul is talking to believers about staying in there under the pressure, and he says this, I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, see how it's a family, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There's three words I like in this passage a lot. It says, we felt, and then he says, but. I love the big buts of the Bible. Because it confronts us. Paul says, you know what? Felt like dying. Felt like giving up. We were under great pressure. Didn't feel good. Didn't like it. Where's the Prozac when you need it? Give me some medication. Give me a vacation. I'm not getting out of this. I felt like dying. I was just like, Lord, take me now. I don't want to go through this. And then he says, but. Now, this is, this is the big bud in the room right now. Okay, sorry to keep using that reference, but it's kind of funny. Here it is. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Have you ever noticed that your problems never leave you the way they find you? You can get bitter, or you can become better. You can use what's going on, or you can lament and complain and accuse and excuse yourself from a process and not benefit. So we have to have a, a, a framework for thinking about the pressures of life, and I'm going to give you three. Okay, it's time for you OCD people to start writing, all right? Expect the pressure. Write that down. If you're a writer, write it down. Expect the pressure. Jesus said, the tough, the tough stuff's coming. This is earth, but I have a plan. You're made by me, you're made for me, and you're going to me. And when you go to me, all that pressure stuff, it's gone. No more pressure. But while you're here in the pressure, know that I'm in you and I'm with you and I'm working things out for my purpose. So expect the pressure. Second, use the pressure. 
Anybody who's ever played a sport knows that in a sport there's an offense and a defense, and, and, and both are going to put pressure on each other, and the, the key is knowing how to exploit the pressure that they put on you so that you can either score or tackle them for the loss or get the ball back, right? you got to use the pressure. Can everybody say this with me? God has a purpose for the pressure. Yeah, see, if, if there's pressure in my life, remember, we can't compartmentalize, like, oh, God, you're with me when things are going great, and you're not with me, and you're far away when things are going bad. When the pressure comes on your life, God's still with you, and he has a purpose for the pressure in your life. you got to use the pressure to transform. It's supposed to, to change you. How many of you are fathers or mothers? Raise your hand. How many of you are sons or daughters? Raise your hand. Oh, that's everybody. <laughs> then you know, like, in parenting, you're sort of like, Okay, my kid wants to do something really stupid, and you're like, go ahead. Go ahead, you, go ahead, yeah, go ahead, honey. You can go do that. In your head, if you're the parent, you're just like, oh, my God, God, help my God, my child. Is so, don't kill them, God. But they have to kind of borrow a little trouble maybe, experience some consequences, experience the pressure of a decision that they make. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, maybe that wasn't such a great decision. But, you know, if you're a lawnmower parent, you know what a lawnmower parent is? That's the one who eliminates all obstacles for their children. Okay, they're worse than bubble parents and helicopter parents because they just mow. Come on, honey. And they just, they just let their kids walk. You know, all you moms are just going, yeah, that's me. Because you don't want your kids to feel pressure. Or pain, but then, hey, adults in the room, why are we allowing our children to avoid the very things that shaped us into who we are? We gotta grow up. So you gotta use the pressure. And then, lastly, write this down benefit from the pressure. There's rewards that come out of kind of the, the tough seasons of life. God says there's rewards. And you know, we would look at it and we'd say, no, that's a stumbling block. God's like, no, that's a stepping stone. We would look at it and we'd say, this is gonna destroy me. And God's looking at it and saying, no, I'm gonna use it to develop you. You're gonna be different than when you started that process. So God's at work in that stuff. So let's look at the fruit of not giving up. If I'm you, I'm like, all right, what's in it for me, man? What do I gain? I hear you, Kenny. I love Jesus. I have stuff going on in my life, and, and I don't want to quit. I don't want to give up. What's on the other side? Number one is character. Write that down, all you note takers. All right, the fruit of not giving up. Character. Romans 5.3, it says, and not only this, the introduction to Jesus, but we exult, also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character. Everybody say, proven character. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's different than hopeful character, and we hope that it's going to happen. It's just like, we, we look at people, we trust people with proven character. Like, no, he went through that, and he made it out the other side, and he went through that, and he made it out the other side, and he went through that, and made it out the other side. You know, it's like war. You know, you might have graduated from West Point and never fought in a battle, and you have a higher rank, but then there's that field sergeant who's been in the fight. It's like, sorry, bro, going with him. Why? Because he's proven in battle. And, you know, the Lord's just saying, hey, you know what? Proven character. You know, your, your character is expressed in conduct. If you're, if you're not happy with your conduct, you have one thing to blame. It's your character. Because character is expressed in conduct. And so when you go, wow, how do I change my conduct? 
changed, changed conduct requires changed what? Character, right. You've got to change from the inside out. That's where life is really lived. And so you might be going through something hard, and God is going to teach you something or show you something about yourself to give you some new character. The second fruit of not giving up is maturity. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. All right? Isn't it great being around mature people? Can I get an amen? Versus immature, selfish, self-indulgent, self, you know, self-righteous or, or insecure people who are immature. It's better to be with a mature person than an immature person. And as Christian, God's, as the head of our family, he wants us mature, but we have to not give up in order to mature. So if you want to grow emotionally and spiritually, you need to persevere. That's the only way that you're going to get Mature. Third fruit of not giving up is Christ-likeness. In the Bible it says in 2 Thessalonians 2.5, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love. Good destination, right? I want God to direct me into his love. And then look what it says. And Christ's perseverance. Christ's what? That's right. God wants you to become like Christ. Christ persevered. You know, the greatest decision ever made by any man ever in all of human history is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Say, what's that, Kenny? That's, that's the place where Jesus got by himself contemplating what was about to happen on the cross. And you know what he said? At least he was honest with God. He said, hey God, if there's any way you can take this cup or experience from me, is there any way? Got a plan B? I mean, that whole crucifixion thing's pretty awful. And then he says, yet, not my will be done, but your will be done. And when, when, when the Bible says, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance, that's the kind of person and Christian he wants you to be. He wants you to, in the midst of your circumstance, say, hey, you know what? I'd appreciate a plan B. But you know what? If this is my process and you're accomplishing your purpose in me to make me like Christ, yet not my will be done, but your will be done. The fifth or the fourth fruit of not giving up is blessing. All right, look at the Bible. James 5, verse 11, it says, and you, as you know, we count as blessed those who have what? Oh, there it is again. We count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I love those words. You've seen what the Lord finally brought about. See, he stayed in there. He hung in there. And man, talk about a dude who had some tough stuff go on. He's just riding the wave of success. God allows Satan to attack him. And every, he loses everything. His wife tells him to curse God and die. His friends tell him, you're in this problem because you sinned. And Job's just like, I, I don't know what I did. I didn't know you're wrong. I didn't do As if... He's at fault, or he did something wrong. That's why he's suffering. But Job never gives up. And that, that's why it's, it's got a few chapters in here. It's there to show us that God's just not present in our prosperity and successes. He's also there in our adversity and in our trials. And it's the story of a guy who's like, you know what? I don't know why this is happening, but I know God. And I know he's good. And I'm not going to curse God and die. I'm going to believe while everybody else is just going, dude, you should bail on this. And he received a blessing. What's so cool about the story is that he was, 
he was doing pretty well, you know, before this trial entered his life. But then God brought it full circle. He endured. He didn't give up. And God gave him back like double what he had lost. You see, God loves when we persevere and wants to bless us. The fifth thing, the fifth fruit of not giving up is reward. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 36, it says, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. I love that verse. Because it talks about what does perseverance look like? It means that I'm not going to stop doing God's will in the middle of hard things. I'm going to continue to do them. I'm going to continue to love him and love people in every setting where I am. Whatever that looks like. I'm not going to go bitter. I'm not going to get drunk. I'm not going to escape. I'm not going to medicate you know, my situation with things that make me feel better temporarily. You know, Here's the thing about life. Life will make you feel bad. The devil wants to make you feel better when you feel bad, but he's offering you things that will make you feel better that will put you in bondage. It's not, but he promises, oh, this is gonna make you feel better, but then that process then puts you in bondage, and now the end game is death. Now he wants to destroy you. So reward, I'd rather have God's rewards for perseverance, but I gotta keep doing the will of God. Some of you are challenged right now. Man, I, do I keep loving my husband? Do I keep loving my wife? Do I keep loving my kids? Do I keep showing up for work? Do I keep, well, if God hasn't changed those things and you know God's will with respect to those things, keep doing God's will. Let's encourage each other and say that together. Keep doing God's will. Yes, and you'll be rewarded. God promises that. The Bible says in James 1.12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life God has promised to those who love him. All right, one last fruit. It's called credibility. Look in the Bible here at 2 Timothy 3, 8 through 11. Paul is using his not giving up stories as credibility to a watching world so that he can impact and minister to people. He says this, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and suffering. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I, what? Endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And you know why he's saying that? Is he's saying, okay, you guys know. You know that I went through all that, and here I am now with you. And Paul has this credibility that only not giving up gives to a man when he's talking to other people. It, it would be one thing to say, well, I gave up at Antioch, and I gave up in, in Iconium, and I gave up in Lystra, and the Lord didn't rescue me out of all that because I gave up. I, I wouldn't know. Maybe he would have. But it brings credibility. So those are the, that's the fruit, all right? There's the payoff. Don't give up. Now, let's go, all right, what, don't give up, but what do we not stop doing? If you're taking notes, write this down. Don't stop believing. Where's, where's Journey right now? I, I, I had Steve Perry to come out and, no, he's not there. Um, don't stop believing. Look what the Bible says. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Stands firm to the what? To the end. That's right. Hung in there. Kept believing. 
The Bible says in Hebrews 12:1, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I don't know if any of you guys ran track, but I was an 800 guy and a mile guy. And man, I'll tell you, when you buzz through there, 59, 60, 61, it's just like a blur, man. Then you get into that second lap of the 800 meters, and it's like somebody put a gorilla on your back. It's surreal. You're just like, oh, God, I'm sprinting another 400 meters. And you're just like, the last 200 meters is so hard. But everybody's watching. And there's like a stadium. This is the picture that Paul paints when he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's painting this picture of the Greek games at the end of the marathon where they run into the stadium, which they still do today. They, they run into the last lap of the stadium is the last part of the race. And there's all these people in there. Everyone who's gone before us in faith, I don't know how God does it. Maybe they have a, a 4K screen up there that's like on steroids or what. But the Bible paints this picture that somehow we're running our race and the finishers who have finished are like, come on, let's go. They're cheering us on. So don't stop believing. Second, don't stop praying. Jesus told this story to his guys to illustrate why they shouldn't stop praying because he was saying how God looks at us about our prayers. He says, says this, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray. Everybody say, always pray. Always pray. And never give up. Say, never give up. Never give up. Quote, there was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. You know what God's saying to us right now, especially in light of the news you've just received? We are going to wear him out with constant requests, not just for Kelly. We're going to wear them out on that, but we're going to keep praying about everything. I don't know what you're trying to solve on your own power and you haven't prayed about it, but God is telling you right now, hey, wear me out. Come back to me. Start talking to me. Give me that thing. So don't stop believing. Don't stop praying. Third, don't stop doing good. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it talks about how we can get depleted and how we can just sort of say, you know, I really can't do says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Everybody say, do not give up. Do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those belonging to the family of believers. That's this group right here. There's a lot of needs in this room. You know who's on assignment to meet those needs? Everybody in this room. And everybody's got issues and everybody's got things going on. But you know what? We need to pull together and we need to run together and we need to meet each other's needs. Don't stop doing good. Now, who or what is our inspiration? To not stop believing, not stop praying, and not stop doing good. Well, it's Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer 
and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a little phrase in there, for the joy set before him. You know who was on the other end of Jesus not giving up? Everybody go like this. Everybody go like this. Me. He didn't give up because he saw you. He's your creator. You're his created. You're an image bearer. You're made in his image. He saw you. And so because he saw you, he's like, I'm going through with it. He's our inspiration. He never gave up. In John chapter 13, verse 1, it says this about our wonderful Jesus. It says, it was just before Passover, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. I love these words. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. That same Jesus lives in you if you're a follower of Christ. But some of you are like, Kenny, I'm not on that journey yet. Not a follower of Christ, but this morning I feel in my heart like that's something that I want to do. I want to cross the line. I want to know this Jesus who never gave up. I want to know this Jesus who endured that cross so that my sin could be forgiven. And he endured that cross so I could have a home in heaven. He endured that cross so, so I could be forgiven. Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want a purpose for living? Do you want a home in heaven? Jesus is saying, well then, say yes. We're going to bow our heads right now. I want everybody to bow your heads right now. Give people an opportunity, a, a sacred moment. And some of you here, you've never made that decision to invite Christ into your life. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And if it's your desire this morning, heads bowed, eyes closed, if it's your desire to open the door of your life and put Jesus in control, could you slip up your hand right now? You're ready to do it. You're ready to walk through. You're ready to give Jesus your life. Okay, we're ready now to pray. I see that hand. I see these hands. Everybody together. We don't want anybody to pray alone this morning. So let's say together and encourage our brothers and sisters. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you into my life as my Lord and forgiver and leader. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. And thank you for not giving up on me. I will not give up on you. In Jesus' name.